You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Costa Rica on a mission trip. While I was there, I was grateful to be able to carve out some time uh, for a cup of coffee with a professor at the Methodist Seminary in Costa Rica. And while we spent some time getting to know each other, we also spent some time talking about the differences between seminary and church in Costa Rica and seminary and church in the U.S. Believe it or not, there are some differences. (laughs) Not just the language, there are other things too. He told me how in the U.S., seminary, you know, ministry training, often feels like a box you have to tick or a hoop you have to jump through. It's more than that, <laughs> very much more than that. But sometimes it feels like just one of those things you have to do so you can get on out and get into real ministry. He said, in Costa Rica, it's more like survival school. Everybody's already in ministry. We're just going to try to help you not die, <laughs> help you survive help you thrive. You don't have to go to seminary to be a minister. We're just trying to help support your work. He also pointed out another difference. He said, if you go to the church in the U.S., the person of the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The person of the Trinity you're most likely to encounter and hear about is Jesus, the Son of God. He said, if you go to church in Costa Rica, and really all of Central America, Those of you who will be in church in Central America next week, just get ready. (laughs) You're more likely to experience and encounter the presence of the Holy Spirit. In the U.S., we talk a lot about Jesus. In Central America, they talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not that they're not talking about Jesus, but they tend to emphasize the person and work of the Spirit, whereas we tend to emphasize the person and work of Jesus. Now, his comment highlighted... This reality that I think we've perceived in some ways, but maybe haven't been able to articulate. Right? It's easy for us to talk about Jesus than the Spirit. Like We've got the Gospels. We have the words of Jesus that have been recorded. He's there. He's leading. He's out front. He's speaking. He's teaching. He's calling. We know what He wants. We may not always listen to what He wants, but we know what He wants. He said it. He's out front. You can see Him. The Holy Spirit's a little bit different. A lot different, really. He's there, but He's not out front, is He? We don't have, you know, the recorded words of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Actually, we do. It's the whole thing. But we don't see it quite the same way as, you know, we've got Jesus in the Gospels. And in the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, we've got the Spirit, but He's working through the apostles. He's working through the church. He's not out front like Jesus is. He's, he's almost more in the background. He's at work, but you see other people out front. And so we struggle to really understand, to comprehend, to get our minds wrapped around the work of the Spirit, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we don't like Pentecost. We do. Christians in the U.S. get very excited about Pentecost. Uh, the season that... Uh, where we celebrate the coming of the Spirit for the first time and hope He shows up again. (laughs) 
So we're going to take some time this summer. Uh, a lot of us will be traveling. We've got mission trips, uh, kids camp, things kind of coming in and out. The Sundays I'm here, <laughs> we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, there will be other times we've got our church planner coming. Stan's going to lead us uh, while I'm away one week. Um, but the Sundays where I'm with you, we'll be talking about uh, the person work of the Holy Spirit. We're looking at some different passages. We're going to take some time this summer. We're going to start with Acts chapter 2. And... You don't have to have a real clear, deep handle on the work of the Spirit to understand the importance of Pentecost. Right? The Spirit, at this point, has come. It makes a difference. All of a sudden, the church is born. God is present with them in a new way. We're still waiting to figure out the implications of that, but at this point, a different thing is happening. God is moving in a new way. And the church is growing because of it, and the church is growing rapidly. We read these passages, you know, 3,000 people get baptized in one day. Massive amounts of people are flocking to Jesus, and it's exciting and it's energizing. The mission is happening, happening. the mission is multiplying, and it's all happening with speed, with rapidity. In all of our excitement, however, there's something that's very easy to look over at the end of the passage we read about the work of the Spirit, something that the Spirit has to do before the mission gets multiplied. I don't know if you caught it, but there's this, there's this thing that happens. Peter starts preaching, and then when people begin to respond, their experience is not initially positive, is it? They realize there's some, we got some business we need to tend to. There's some things going on. I'm not quite sure how to proceed. What do we do now? That's the first thing people say when they hear Peter's sermon. What do we do now? And then they get called to do some things that aren't easy to do. And we like to kind of skip over that sometimes. <laughs> get straight to the, you know, 3,000 people get baptized. But there's something that has to happen first. Acts chapter 2, the heart of the message, this Bottom line, we can't multiply mission unless the Spirit convicts of sin. That's the thing that happens before the church begins to grow. The Spirit shows up, people begin to hear, the gospel's going out, but before the church is multiplied, before it starts to spread from Jerusalem to Rome, the Spirit's got to produce conviction in the hearts of hearers so that they are able to respond to the grace He gives. We cannot multiply mission until the Spirit convicts of sin. Now, mission is the heart of Acts. I mean, the whole thing is about the first generation of believers and their missionary enterprise to start in Jerusalem and work their way across the empire, the Roman Empire, and at the end of it, the Apostle Paul is in Rome waiting to tell the emperor about Jesus. So that's, that's some progress, if you ask me. That's mission moving, energy is all over the place. It's happening. We shouldn't be surprised, though, because Jesus tells the disciples in chapter 1, the Spirit's going to come. You're going to be my witnesses all over the world. I'm going to send you out. So the whole thing is about mission. But there are barriers to mission, aren't there? One of the biggest barriers is language and translation. I've been in places where I've had to 
preach through a translator. Sermons have to be half as long because you have to hear it twice. Or half as, have to be half the, half the length because they have to be preached two times. Once in English, once in Spanish, or whatever the language is. Imagine having to hear it twice. You didn't think you could understand it in your own language, let alone another one, right? So the, the Spirit shows up. You get three descriptions of that in Acts chapter 2. Violent wind, flames of fire, and then people begin to speak in new languages. Now this speaking in new languages and different translations may have it different ways. Some may say tongues. and There's a lot of confusion about this. There's some evidence in the New Testament of people speaking and praying in the Spirit in languages that no one understands or not, you know, like Spanish or something. That's not what's happening here. Luke, the author of Acts, is very clear that when the Spirit shows up, the apostles start speaking, but they're speaking other languages. They're speaking the kind of languages people would hear if they were uh, Elamites or Cappadocians uh, or from Egypt. And the power of the Spirit allows these folks with different dialects to hear the gospel in their own language. And if you keep the whole Bible in front of you, you can begin to realize that God is overturning one of the great hindrances to the gospel going out that's been there since almost the beginning. Ty reminded us earlier of the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, humanity says to God, you're not going to be God, we're going to be God, we're going to settle down, we're going to build a city, it's going to be for our glory. And God says, <laughs> that's what you think. And he mixes up their languages, and all of a sudden, they can't accomplish what they want to accomplish. They begin to spread out. Those language barriers become one of the major hindrances to the, union of, the unity of the people of God. And so the first thing the Holy Spirit does is overcome those barriers. Right? Now you can get out there in mission. You can take the gospel to people who don't speak the same language. You cannot communicate with them before this. And they're blown away. Like, who are these guys? Galileans of all people? Speaking in languages they've never studied or learned. The Spirit is there. The Spirit is at work. Everyone was amazed. Everyone was perplexed. They thought they were drunk. <laughs> I don't know what kind of church you've got to have for outsiders to come in when you're done and say, have you, how much have you had to drink? <laughs> you know, what are you serving for breakfast over there? Um, but imagine how exciting it would be if that is what they said. <laughs> Peter says, no, it's not uh, wine. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. God is at work. God is doing a new thing. And he begins to preach. He's talked about, we've, we've seen how the Spirit shows up to give the apostles the thing they need to fulfill Jesus' instructions that they're going to be witnesses to all the nation. Right? You're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And the Spirit shows up to empower them for what Jesus has called them to do. The Spirit shows up to empower the people of God to do what Jesus has called them to do. To give them the strength, the power, the ability, the skills, the talent, the stuff they need to do what Jesus says to do. So Peter gets up in the power of the Spirit and starts to preach. And again, you get to see how like, the Son and the Spirit are working in union here. And Peter starts to talk about Jesus, doesn't he? 
And he tells about how Jesus was crucified, and he tells about how Jesus was raised, and how he's now ascended. Right now in heaven, Jesus, in bodily, in his resurrection body, is seated at the right hand of God. And he rules over all things right now, Peter says. And that hasn't changed. That's still true. <laughs> and the Spirit of God is at work to accomplish to apply what Jesus has accomplished. So Peter preaches about Jesus. He goes back to David. He says, David talked about the Messiah. You won't abandon my soul to Hades, to the place of the dead. You won't let your Holy One experience corruption. You've made known to me the ways of life. Peter says, obviously that's not about David because he's dead. <laughs> Self-evidently, David wasn't talking about himself. Who was he talking about? He was talking about the Messiah. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. God raised him from the dead. The stuff that David prophesied about has met its reality, its realization in Jesus. He's been right. You handed him over. This is not a nice, touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy sermon, is it? He's like, you killed him. Son of God. Here he is, deeds of power, doing all the right things, and you crucified him in league with the Romans. And now God has raised him up and exalted him and given him authority over all things. And when Peter does that, this is the key piece, right? This is where, like, if we want to understand how evangelism, discipleship, mission, if we want to get how the Spirit is at work, this is the heart of what we have to wrap our minds, our hearts, our whole being has to be oriented towards this reality. When the gospel is preached, Jesus died, Jesus was raised, for the forgiveness of sins, to give eternal life, when that message is preached, the Holy Spirit goes to work. To convict of sin and to convert unbelievers to Jesus. It doesn't work when we just tell other stories. Right? If our preaching is more kind of motivational speech, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, He doesn't really expect much from you. you know? Just kind of get a, sign up and be on the team. You know, it's a caricature, but <laughs> there's some preaching out there that kind of feels that way sometimes, right? You never get faced with the raw reality of the gospel, of a crucified Messiah, of the blood and the pain and the terror and the horror and the hope in the resurrection. Right? If we water down the message, if we kind of shave off the sharp edges, we kind of make it a little more palatable, Academics, there's there's conference, infamous conference years ago where a bunch of Christian scholars got together and said, you know, we don't need the bloody cross anymore. Modern people don't need that kind of ancient, you know, uneducated stuff. So we can just kind of shave off the rough edges. I'll tell you one time, I think it was it was early, early seminary days. I was sitting with another person, and uh, this person made the comment, said, you know. You're not like other Christians. I said, what do you mean? And I said, well, a lot of people I meet, they try to they just try to persuade you, try to make it Jesus not as demanding as he really is. And for you, it's kind of like take it or leave it. Here's who he is. <laughs> and I commend that to you. Like, don't try to make Jesus easy on people. Because if you do, when they actually sit down and read the Bible, they'll discover you're a liar. <laughs> Don't try to make Jesus easy. Right? 
Peter gets up and he says, now don't be a jerk. <laughs> Let me clarify that. Don't be a jerk. Be winsome, be wise. But don't shave off the rough edges. Peter gets up and basically, I mean, he says, right? You killed the Son of God. <laughs> you call yourself the people of God. When God showed up in Jesus, you killed him. But God is faithful, isn't he? He always goes, he talks about the problem, but he goes to the hope. God is faithful. God raised him up. Now repent and believe. And experience his life and his joy. It's very hard to get the hope and the life and the joy without the blood and the terror and the torture. In fact, <laughs> there is no crown that doesn't follow the cross. And Peter's sermon takes that and holds it together. And when he preaches the gospel of the crucified and resurrected Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows up and goes to work. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit convicts people that they are far from God. He doesn't do it with other stories. He only does it through the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let me take a side note here. I've served a number of churches now, and almost universally, uh, we talk about evangelism. Uh, and when we talk about evangelism, we use it the wrong way. Maybe you've noticed this. We uh, put together an evangelism committee, and they're the folks in charge of strategies for inviting people to church. Well, friends, inviting people to church is not evangelism. Hey, will you go to church with me on Sunday? Maybe they say yes. That's great. Wonderful. It's not evangelism. Do it. <laughs> Invite people to church by all means. But maybe take the next step and tell them Jesus died for them because he loves them and was raised because God is faithful. That's evangelism. When you tell the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that is step number one in the mission of God. Inviting people to church is great, but, it's, but, but, don't, but, but don't imagine that's evangelism. Talking about the gospel is evangelism. And so, Peter preaches this and declares the reality, the truth, that Jesus of Nazareth is Lord and Messiah. And then in verse 37, some, the people who are gathered around hear it, and the first thing we hear is not they had a warm, fuzzy feeling. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted. Who's the one doing the conviction? Who's the one doing the cutting? The Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is present and active and at work in power through the proclamation about Jesus. Notice the Son and the Spirit working together to draw people to the Father. You talk about Jesus, the Spirit shows up, people get convicted that they are far from God, and they desire, because the Spirit's at work, to draw near. When they heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart, they said to Peter, to the other apostles, brothers, what do we do now? What should we do? Now, in the Methodist world, we call this provenient grace. If, that's, if you don't like words that come from Latin uh, that sound like words you never use, it just means the grace that comes before. Maybe we could call it preceding grace. 
Before what? Before you meet Jesus for the first time. Before conversion. Before you get born again. Right? That's the key. Like these folks have not been born again yet, have they? They haven't had their sins forgiven yet. They haven't come into a new relationship of life-giving love with Jesus. They're trying to figure out how that happens, but they can only ask the right question because the Spirit is there first. Right? They're not asking, what do we do to get saved because they're bright? They probably are, but that's not why they're asking this question. They're not asking, what do we do to get forgiven because they're particularly intelligent or attentive or they're just really good listeners or because they're just good people. They are asking the question because the Spirit of God is convicting their hearts that they are far from God and that it's time now to draw near. And they can only do that in the power of the Spirit. We never, it's never our idea to get right with Jesus. Ever. It's always, always, always the work of the Holy Spirit first. That's what makes it grace. He initiates, we respond. And that grace that comes prior to the moment we meet Jesus for the first time and that sense of reconciliation and joy and hope floods our life and our being, our heart, mind, and soul, our bodies. The moment that happens, it happens because the Spirit of God was already there preceding grace. Gives us a way to talk about past, present, and future. They were cut to the heart. They said to Peter, to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They are in that declaring their confidence in Jesus to do for them what they can't do for themselves. They're trusting Jesus. We're going to surrender ourselves to your lordship, we're going to trust you, the resurrected Lord. We're going to take the mark of your covenant on our bodies. We're going to be baptized. We're going to repent. We're going to turn away from our sin and turn toward Jesus. Repentance is always turning away from one thing and toward Jesus, away from things that don't honor God, towards Jesus, and the Holy Spirit does that. Then and only then does the mission multiply. Only then. We cannot multiply the mission unless the Spirit convicts of sin. It's not fun to talk about. They didn't feel good. <laughs> but it was absolutely necessary for life. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit it is the work of the Holy Spirit to apply to us what Jesus has accomplished. Step number one, the Spirit shows up. Before He can send you out, He's got to take everything that Jesus accomplished with His death and resurrection. Forgiveness, new life, hope for resurrection, and He's got to apply that to you. Who applies it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes all the good things, every good thing that Jesus wants to share with his brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit gives that to you. Makes it present. This passage highlights our absolute inability. We cannot presume that we approach God to initiate the relationship. 
Right? The Spirit has to do it. It also highlights the necessity of conversion. Right? One day you don't, next day you do. We call the transition conversion. Now there are two kinds of conversions. There's the Apostle Paul kind, right? In a moment, all of a sudden things are different and maybe you can, you know, you've got the date written down in the front of your Bible. You're like, I knew, you know, January 29th, 1993 or something, right? I mean, you know the day the Holy Spirit showed up and pulled the blinders off your eyes and showed you Jesus and everything changed that day. That's what you call an about-face kind of repentance. But there's another kind. Takes a long time to turn a big ship, doesn't it? <laughs> and the ark is bigger, isn't it? If you were to ask me, what was the, the day that you turned from sin to Jesus? I couldn't tell you the exact date. But even though I can't tell you the exact date, I understand and confess that there was a day when I was heading in the wrong direction. And one day that changed. And the change is the work of the Holy Spirit. It may have been a gradual thing because when you grow up in a home with faithful parents and they take you to Sunday school and they take you to church and they read the Bible to you and they teach you to pray, there's a formation that happens over, the, over a longer period but that formation must come to a point where the Holy and, and the Holy Spirit did work in that, but it must come to a point where all of us where 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 a change happens. And just because it is gradual doesn't mean there's not a moment where the change takes place. Now a lot of you probably have a similar experience to that, where you say, Hey, you know, I can't pick a day. <laughs> and that's okay. As long as you understand that it happened and the Spirit of God did it. And if you don't have that knowledge and confession, it's time to get it. So there's two kinds of conversion. There's the in a moment, you know, one moment you don't, you, you can clearly identify. One moment you didn't know Jesus, now you do. The Holy Spirit has opened my eyes. The other one is, well, it's taken a long time to have that gradual turn. Maybe it happened during your childhood and you don't remember. Maybe it happened during your adulthood. And it's hard to pinpoint it, but you know there was a time where <laughs> I was running from Jesus and now I love him. And it's not because I'm particularly apt or special, it's because he's gracious. Because he's gracious. The purpose of the Spirit's work to convict and convert is to transform sinners into people who embody the character of Jesus in mission to the world. Like, that's the only thing that matters. The purpose of the Spirit's convicting and converting power is to transform people from sinners who do not embody the character of Jesus into followers, disciples who do. Not for their own end, but so that they can Follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. To our neighbors, to the nations. Take a look at how this works out of the text. Repent, verse 38. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Why? So that your sins may be forgiven, right? You're a sinner. <laughs> you need God to do something about that. You can't help yourself. 
You've got to change. You need, a, you need a change. You can't accomplish the change. He goes on, for the promises for you, for your children, the gift of the Holy Spirit, for all who are far away, everyone whom our Lord calls to him. Notice the global scope of what he's, of the promise. It says, for everyone, people who are far away. And he testified, verse 40, with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Notice, you are in the context of corruption, right? You are right where you do not want to be. You may not realize it, but you are where you do not want to be. You are in the middle of a people who are corrupt, and the Spirit of God wants to take you out of that corruption, bring you into the church, into the kingdom, into the people of God, not staying corrupt, bringing the corruption into the kingdom, but being transformed by the power of the Spirit. You don't get forgiven so you can stay corrupt. You get forgiven so that you can be holy. And your holiness is so that the nations will know that God is God. So the Spirit draws people in, convicts them of sin, converts them to Jesus, and changes their life so that they can go out and represent Jesus and represent Him well. But it doesn't heart, it doesn't start until the Spirit does that work of conviction. Throughout the book of Acts, beginning with the day of Pentecost, personal transformation, global mission. That's the story. Transformation starts with the work of the Spirit in us to convict of sin. Be grateful. <laughs> Our first inclination when we begin to feel that conviction may be to step back. I'm not, I don't want to go there. What if the Holy Spirit could work gratitude in us? Spirit of God, thank you for identifying the dark place in my heart. Thank you for revealing the things that need to change. A place where I need to repent. And that happens the first time. But if you're following Jesus, it's going to keep happening. So I'm wondering, you know, how many of us do need to turn and repent for the first time? And how many of us have the Spirit of God saying, hey, here's the, I can't use you the way I want to use you because there's this thing in your life. And I need to deal with it. I need to deal with it today. We cannot experience God's best. The expansion of His beauty and His glory in our community and the world until we are sensitive and responsive to the Holy Spirit in the power of His, in, in the way He convicts us of sin. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.